Hello world, welcome to the High Paying Bastards. We are your hosts, Ian and Ari. Here we will discuss anything related to video game culture, so please take a seat and join us. Reach for the sky, Ian, because we're going to start our podcast. You ready? I'm reaching, baby. All right. Well, we're already recording anyway, so let's go ahead and get our podcast started. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm in a very Western kind of mood today. I am not. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that one, won't we? Because later on, we'll review the Evil West which I absolutely enjoyed, and from the sound of it, it looks like you not as much, but we'll cover that later on. But before we do that, let's start talking about the video game news, shall we? The news, the news, the news, I like it. Um, You want to talk about some mobile games first? So we're looking at the news article from the TechQRP that states mobile games have generated about US $107 billion in 2023, most of the revenue earned in China, where it earned about $37.6 billion. USA is about $24 billion, and Japan, $12.78 billion. Now, much to the uh, you know chagrin of most of the hardcore gamers like yourself, Ian, apparently mobile games continue to be an unrivaled force in the bringing money year after year. Even with a slight drop of 2% in revenue from this type of game reached US $107 billion last year. Now, I know... A lot of people say for mobile games, it's because there are a couple of whales spending a lot of money, but that amount of money is not just from whales now, is it? No, I mean, it's definitely more than just like a couple of whales here or there dropping some cash. I mean, we're talking some Saudi oil princes are dropping some mad bucks too, you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, What I was going to say is like, even a Saudi prince does not have like $107 billion for a mobile game. What does he play, like Candy Crush and just like, you know, spend every single oil money on it? I mean, who knows? I'm I'm not an oil prince, so I can't tell you. But I mean, if I was, I'd probably have Candy Crush completed. I probably would have cheated a lot too. (laughs) Yes. Check this out. Like the most profitable version of mobile game apparently is RPG. So US $24.5 billion, like those like Genshin Impact and stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting. Strategy game come up second in around $10.7 billion. The matching games, which is what we think is like, you know, the Candy Crush, that comes about $10.2 billion. That is like that kind of number is just absolutely insane when we talk about video games. And I don't see a lot of people playing mobile games a lot. But apparently outside of United States, whenever you go to like China or anywhere else, mobile games are really popular. Like you'll see people playing them on subway everywhere on the bulk size, like a lot of people playing at the same time. My question, though, is, is what are they considering mobile games, right? Like, are we talking just games on your phone or are we talking about games like on Steam Deck and Switch as well? You know what I mean? I don't see that in this article. Yeah, in this article, it is not stated, but I think from a mobile game perspective, I don't think Nintendo counts it because it counts more as a console games more than anything else. I think mobile games is specifically ones you can play on your uh, iPhone or Android phone or whatever, like, you know, they have in China, like Xiaomi or something like that. So I would assume that is what they are still counting on. But the revenue numbers that are, that they're displaying here is just absolutely crazy number, like 24 billion in US. That's more than, I think, what, NFL? I wonder what NFL makes in a year. I mean, it's definitely, it's a lot. I mean, $109 
billion dollars, right? Hundred nine or hundred seven billion dollars. I mean, it's it's nuts. Yeah, but I'm looking at just the U.S. portion, which is about twenty four billion. Look at this: NFL in 2022 had a total revenue of eighteen point six billion U.S. dollars. Yeah. That's crazy numbers. I would love to see more data on exactly this mobile games. I'll probably go in a little bit deeper and try to see what else is. Maybe I'll discuss next time some big mobile game news hits up. But that's an interesting portion. I mean, I don't think we should definitely underestimate, like, you know, how much of a actual gaming culture the mobile games are part of as well. And in the future, you know, we should show this <laughs> section of respect a little bit. All I'm going to say is, hey, Dad, I guess uh, video games can make you some money. Let's move on, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before ahead. moving on, I think one game one I wanted to cover is the... So we had the CES 2024 happen, the Consumer Electronic, whatever the S stands for. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I keep forgetting whatever they say. But CES 2024, that happened in Las Vegas, and they were showcasing a lot of you know game techs. A lot of the things were focused on AI and stuff like that, like generative AI. For video games, there was some interesting stuff like MSI's Claw that got released and a lot of like, you know, monitor setups and et cetera. But one of the things that kind of stood out and looks a little bit more exciting is the announcement from NVIDIA that they will have a lot more DLSS 3 like induced game coming up. So this is the article from WCCF Tech. So it says, during the CES 2024, NVIDIA announced several new DLSS 3 RTX games that are on the way, which includes Horizon Forbidden West, Like a Dragon, Gaiden, and Infinite Wealth, Tekken 8. And it also talked about a couple of the games that has already released with the DLSS 3 enabled, like Diablo 4. Now, uh, I don't know how much you care about like these like, kind of announcement about DLSS. Do you know what they are? Not entirely. Um, I did look it up, but it just seems like it helps with frame rate and stuff like that from what I could gather. Yeah. So this is my understanding of it and kind of looking at a couple of the uh, videos and et cetera regarding DSS3. It's like, so this deep learn super sampling, what it does is that it allows your computer, especially if it has the NVIDIA, anything from 4000 series with an RTX, what it does is that it allows you to play at a higher ultra and GPU straining graphics, the resolution and uh, like ray tracing and et cetera, but at the same time, not let you drop your frames per second. So it doesn't look like it's janky when you're playing it on your computer or when you're streaming it online. What it does is that it takes two rendered frames of the game and then it basically figures out what the transition frame would look like between those two and fills it up so that it looks more smoother when it's moving from frame to frame when you're playing the game. So that's my understanding of it. And we'll see a lot more games coming out with this technology and we'll be able to play really, really higher, higher quality of graphics despite, uh, you know, not having very strong CPU or like it will not having like a, a very strong computer, but you'll be able to give us a really good experience of the graphics of the com- graphics of the game itself. Yeah. As long as you got like a decent NVIDIA in there or whatever. Exactly. So like if you're streaming this game, you're not going to have to worry about some jagged kind of frame rates when it has to be, you know, displayed on your screen or something like that. It looks a lot more smoother and everything else. So it'll be really, really cool to kind of see more games coming out. First of which is like the uh, Tekken 8 that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, There's already been other games that has it too. 
Um, yeah, I see Dragon's Dogma 2 is apparently coming out with it. So I take it this is going to mostly help with like the screen tearing and stuff like that that you get. That is what my understanding is as well. Like basically it allows you to run at a higher graphics requirement, but maintain your frames per second, like near FPS as well. So it looks pretty, It, it the way it does it is like, as I already explained with the algorithm and et cetera, but yeah, it's kind of like a way to make your GPU a lot more conservative. Like it's not going to strain it too much. It's going to relieve a lot of pressure on your GPU when you try to run a higher level of graphics. I mean, it's always good. I mean, having things look nicer and run smoother, there's nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, as long as there's no like backdoor shit they're putting in there, I'm cool with it, you know? Yep. I mean, (laughs) now that you say backdoor shit, I think we can move on to our (laughs) new news regarding Capcom and DRM. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good transition you gotta you gotta give me that yeah so i was looking into what i saw this article before and i was kind of curious as to what like the whole drm thing was because i know a lot of people were doing refunds and shit like that on steam and throwing negative reviews out and stuff because capcom was implementing drm apparently into a lot of their kind of their older titles not really some of the new stuff but what the hell did it stand for? What's it stand for, Ari? Uh, DRM is Digital Rights Management. There we go. That's it. So basically, it's just an authentication thing is all it is from what I could understand. For Capcom, it's a little bit more than that because they're installing it in older, older games that they have. So this is where like you know, a little bit of a kind of thing coming up is that these are not new games exactly. We're looking at you know, Resident Evil 5, of course, but like you know, Mega Man Zero ZX Galaxy Collection. Like a lot of these games are quite older and in their legacy kind of cabinet. The thing is that this DRM is supposed to prevent any kind of cheating or specifically like cheat engine or a propriety from happening with these games, which is kind of weird because we already have like in a lot of these versions of the games outside, people are already pirating and it's already been torn to shreds by the modders and etc. But one of the big concerns was that this DRM was going to prevent modders specifically, like people who mod, you know, your uh, how your aesthetics looks in the game and etc. that they would be impacted. But from a lot of the other commenters on this news that we're looking at, it's not the case. And a lot of the news that is being fling around is kind of misinformation regarding who these DRM people are. Yeah, that's kind of what I saw. And it wasn't necessarily DRM in general. It was the specific, the uh, Enigma Protector DRM, um, which they... Someone had claimed it came from like Russia. It was a Russian-based uh, company that made it or whatever. But I think that was kind of disproven, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those things were kind of a little bit hyperbolic, kind of like you know, blaming and naming and etc. A lot of people when they were, you know, you know how gamers are, like you know, yeah. they'll see yeah. one, they'll see one like you know weakness and they'll snatch at you for it, right? Uh, it was a little bit of a group thing kind of going on, in my opinion. This particular DRM people, they, they've never really had a history of anything particular kind of nefarious or anything. Uh, I think the stigma with the Russian is a little bit over-exaggerated on that end. The weird thing is that it did have a little bit of problem specifically with, I think, Resident Evil 5 or something, where the implementation of this DRM caused a little bit of a game lagging and a little bit of a bug, but those things were resolved by patches and etc so it's not really a big of a deal and most mod modification programs they do seem to continue to work uh, despite this drm and etc yeah i mean i don't know i guess like my biggest thing would be like if it 
turns it into like a always online type of game or something where it's like you need to be online to even play it or whatever something like resident evil 5 where you would play by yourself i i would have a huge issue with that because i think the always online thing is fucking garbage and that is a legitimate concern on these drms specifically for like these older capcom games which had never needed to be online the for the drm to properly do it's you know uh for a lot of the drms not this one specifically but a lot of DRMs, they work using these licensing keys and et cetera, or prevent piracy or cheating. They have to be online in order to work properly. Otherwise, they can't really do their functions. And it causes lagging in the game. And even the single-player games that you might enjoy would have to be like an online platform. And you're right to be concerned on that end because that is one of the things like you know, that might affect a legacy game, like an old game that you want to play from Capcom. Now suddenly you have to be online to play it. That is a legitimate concern and also you know the concern that you have shared before about you know DRMs are the what enables like you know you to not exactly own a game but rather lease a licensing key and then play it on a DRM platform like Steam rather than having a game ownership it's also in the central of that debate too yeah um i mean i've already expressed my feelings with that shit numerous times um did you happen to see uh what they think like why uh, Capcom's going so hard with this shit now? Specifically, it's because they wanted to make sure that they can preserve the integrity of their older games by making sure people are not cheating on it or it is easy to cheat on it, reducing the overall aesthetic of what they had originally designed by too many mods, like, you know, like illegal, not illegal, but like unauthorized mod kind of ruining how this game actually looks. They're trying to preserve kind of a legacy of these older games of what they have and make sure, but overall, it's just to retain the control over these games and not relinquish it to outside consumers and et cetera. That's what this article was mentioning on that end. Yeah, I know Capcom's like kind of slowly been implementing this stuff, but they, they seem to have gone extra hard on it. I don't know if how much you follow the fighting game scene at all, but there was a tournament, it must have been a couple months back now, where somewhere... Someone had a Chun Li nude mod on their console at the tournament and it got displayed. The person, like the the player, didn't know that it was on there, but apparently it was like one of the guys, like hosting or something like that, had it on his console or whatever. And that's kind of where, like, this is spun Capcom to go extra hard on it, allegedly. <laughs> Okay, I need to go on incognito mode and <laughs> fighting game tournament. I'm gonna try to yeah. find that news. It, it was uh, it was a couple of months ago. It was before we started doing like the podcast and everything like that. I remember I remember hearing about it. Yep. After a naked Chun Li scandalized a fighting game tournament, Capcom sounds <laughs> the alarm about PC game modding. Quote: There are a number of mods that are offensive to public order and morals. Yeah, from that tournament, like Capcom's been going like extra hard, kind of, it seems like. That's a good reason to do it. If they were trying to preserve their legacy or whatever, they don't want these modders, like, you know, especially on like a tournament where a lot of people are watching and then keep yeah. that thing in the private, you know? Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's totally on, like, I can't remember, like, the dude, the comment, it wasn't the commentator, but it was like some host, they were using his equipment and he should have known that that shit was on there. Or, I mean, he, he did know, but he should have taken it off, you know, because now they're just going extra hard with this shit. So 
It's unfortunate. It's that guy's fault. Yep. Blame it all on that dude. (laughs) That's why I don't, you know, I've never understood this weird fascination with like people finding video game characters, you know, attractive or even wanting to see quote unquote like nude because they're all fucking polygons, you know, like these are all like, I don't even understand like nude art or like anything like that. So it's just always freaks me out when like people are like, oh, have you seen that character? It looks so hot. I'm like, no, no, I don't. These are fucking polygons, dude. I mean, unless it's an actual movie, like even then it's like kind of weird. I've always found that absolutely weird. I don't know why people find that one attractive. Well, before we start going down into this rabbit hole, I mean, I'm under the the advocacy of like whatever you do in your own home, whatever, dude. I don't really care. Um, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. But yeah. I, I like I don't know. It, it 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 doesn't bother me. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I know there's fucking Skyrim mods out there that give the dragons huge dicks or whatever. You know, and I mean if that's what you want to use when you play skyrim then more power to you my guy but ian please come on this is a family friendly <laughs> show <laughs> no not not anymore yeah. We're talking about this shit <laughs> i know i know it's just i don't know it's just kind of weird i mean of course you know you do at your place what you want to do don't put it on some tournament commentary or anything like that but like it's just like you know it's just one of those things it just doesn't really compute on my head at all well how about moving off of this and uh, let's talk about uh, how Twitch staff is laying off 35% of its staff. Yep. Uh, this is according to the Insider Gaming. It has been revealed that Twitch, the streaming platform owned by Amazon, is set to lay off a whopping 500 employees, which is around 35% of the firm's entire employee base. Now, this is already in addition to previous level of like employees lost, so total employee layoff coming up about 1,000 employees. And from the math, it looks like they have about 1,000 employees left in that operation. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, I don't know how much you follow Twitch, Ari. Not at all. Like, I do not watch a lot of streaming contents. I used to watch, like, Twitch back in the day, like, especially around 2012, before the Amazon buyout. I remember the buyout being around like a billion dollar worth of buyout. It was crazy number at the time and it's still crazy now that i think about it but i knew that they don't really make a lot of money like they don't make like a lot of their contents are free most of the time so i don't understand how they were going to bring like you know uh whatever 10x or 12x that one billion dollar from amazon or anything like that but i know it is facing a lot of competitors from other streaming sites now like kick.com and it's having a lot of cost raising from the bandwidth and etc a lot of scandals from Twitch as well, that's very popular and newsworthy most of the time, yeah. but not enough income. That's all I know about Twitch. So I I use that myself when I do stream, and I watch a lot of people on Twitch. Um, and you're not wrong with any literally anything you said. I mean, there's always drama on there. There's always someone getting banned for whatever. Someone's not following the rules. All that shit. I forget who the CEO of Twitch or whatever is, or like you know just who's in charge of it, but they recently said that it's runs at a deficit. It's just always losing money. Sorry, uh, I'm looking at the tech radar news. Uh, it says, yeah, Twitch CEO addresses companies layoff says the platform is not profitable at this point. I don't understand is that, why is it that some platforms that can get eyes on it can make revenue, but some platforms that can get eyes on 
you know, their content does not make any revenue. Like Instagram makes revenue, but why doesn't Twitch make any revenue? Even though you like an average, like a streaming content was around two to maybe three hours long, about a movie long. And you're putting like sits on the table, like, you know, sits on the, like, you know, proverbial gaming chair, but still they're not figuring out how to make this profitable at all while their cost is rising rapidly. Yeah, I think part of it's like you said, though, where a lot of it comes from probably bandwidth because streaming does eat up a huge portion of bandwidth. And, you know, you don't have to sub to anyone really to watch stuff. And it doesn't cost you to stream on there. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to pay like a monthly fee or something like that to be a streamer or something, which would be terrible if they did that. Um, Don't get any ideas. (laughs) But um, like... They have, they run ads, of course. So they, they do get like ad money and stuff like that, but it's probably just like the bandwidth kind of, there's so much bandwidth and they have to pay for all of that that it probably just consumes most of it. You know, I mean, Twitch is huge. Twitch is bigger than Kick. Kick is just barely starting out, right? There's not a whole lot of, you know, there's YouTube, but even YouTube streaming is still fairly new. You know, um, YouTube is mostly just uploading videos and stuff. Yeah, but Kick, you know, what does Kick have? It has an F1 team right now. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's partnering up with Stake, you know, the uh, casino, I guess. And it they are the primary sponsor of a uh, Formula One team called Sauber. Uh, so it's called like Stake F1 Team Sauber Kick or something like that. <laughs> People are trying to figure out what this team's name should be later on, but... Yeah, they had that Formula One going on. But yeah, you're, you're right. You know, like a lot of those contests are free. And I think the moment you said, like, you know, they could do subscription charge for people who want to stream, I think that is exactly where it's going to go. Maybe they'll not charge like, you know, $9 a month or something, like $1 or $2 a month. But yeah, I mean, I mean the, thing, the thing is, though, is they're already taking a cut from donations, bits, stuff like that. So that's why I don't really see them doing something like that, because they're already getting a cut from the streamer, right? They recently just came out with news saying, so you used to sign a contract where you could, like when you were streaming, you were only streaming on Twitch. Like you could upload your VOD to YouTube and stuff, but when you were live streaming, you could only do it on Twitch. Recently, they got rid of that, and now you can actually stream multi-platform. So you can stream on Twitch, Kick, and YouTube all at the same time, as long as your internet can handle that. What's your experience with streaming on Twitch? Do you think it's very streamer friendly as in like, you know, it helps you set up really fast. The quality of your stream is pretty good on that site. What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly easy. I mean, you, and the, the thing that's nice is you have a lot of freedom to kind of do what you want to do, mold your stream and how you want to make it. There's no one really that's telling you, oh, you have to you have to do this. You have to do that. You know what I mean? Now, there are some things that you you do have to do. I think like, bits is almost like non-negotiable now like you like literally have to turn bits on and use bits which is trash in my opinion but it's it is easy to set up it's easy to start it's easy quality wise it looks good it sounds good you know a lot of times it's just kind of what you use for your broadcasting system like i use obs and stuff like that it's free so a lot of it is just depending on that really and do you think, you know, you've watched a lot of like streaming contents. What's the average number of uh, people who view these streams are when you are in like a popular channel? 
Uh, I mean, shit, dude. It it really varies. I watch Avoiding the Puddle a lot, and he gets consistently like 3,000 viewers. Okay. Like That's like his minimum, right? Someone like Moon Moon, he's another one that I watch. He can get, you know, 14 to 20,000. Someone like XQC, uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but he can, he's, uh, when he was doing GTA RP, no pixel 3.0, he was getting like 100,000. Yeah. Usually like what I know for a fact, even if I don't know much about streaming, is that if somebody knows your name, even if they don't really watch the type of content or sports that you play, then yeah, you're a big, big name on that. And like, I mean, I never played basketball. I knew who Michael Zorton was in all the way back in Nepal, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, it it really ranges, though. A lot of times it's dependent on what, like, what game they play, right? Some people kind of get shoehorned into playing only Dark Souls types games. So it just kind of, it depends, really. Yeah, but we'll we'll have to see how this layoff is going to affect their operational capability, too. That's going to be the big problem. You're literally losing 35% of your employees. I mean, that's going to have to take a quite a hit on the quality of your service as well. So we'll see how that one goes, right? I don't think it will all that much, honestly. Really? You think most of those people are just useless? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think they're just kind of cutting the fat, honestly. All right. I mean, it's going to put pressure on the ones that are still there, but I don't think it's going to affect it too much. <laughs> I I did not take you for such a corporatist, man. <laughs> Hey, fuck the Borghese and fuck the man, but you know. <laughs> Wait, Borghese? Yeah, Borghese. Bourgeoisie. 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 Uh, yeah, I don't give a fuck, dude. Moving on. God of War TV show. Hell yeah. I think Sony is doing a great job when it comes to live action adaptation. The ones that they have produced so far. Now, the other thing, this is a, from Insider Gaming as well. Uh, and a panel at the CES 2024, Sony's representative confirmed that the writing is now underway for the live action adaptation of God of War. Now, they've done Last of Us, a Sony presentation as well. You know, there have been a lot of other, like Spider-Man is a great adaptation in a sense, I guess, but it's not exactly in Sony's hand. Well, it is technically in Sony's hand how they adapt it. But it's not, it's the opposite kind of adaptation on that end. Sorry. But yeah, I'm kind of a little bit excited about it. I think Sony's single player experience has some solid, solid story. And I think they're really good to kind of adapt into live action. And I think right now they're figuring out how to adapt video games properly into like a movie or a TV show. So I'm a little bit excited about it. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, that's cool. I love the God of War series, the 2018 one, Ragnarok. I mean, it's all dope. It'd be interesting to see who they cast. Like you said, it seems like they're getting better when it comes to these video game to TV shows slash movies adaptations. Like you said, Last of Us, uh, Twisted Metal, Uncharted. I don't think Uncharted was that bad. I know a lot of people shit on it, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I Honestly, though, depending on where it drops, I probably won't really watch it because I don't really watch a whole lot of TV and stuff. I usually try to play video games in my spare time. So, but I'm all for it, to say the least. Yeah, exactly. I think on that end, I'll disagree on the Uncharted one. That movie was kind of boring when I watched it in theater. I was kind of excited. Hopefully, it was going to be okay, but I didn't really like it. It was kind of boring. It was like a generic action movie for me. But what I did did not like is that the Nathan Drake in that one looked like a little kid rather than yeah. a grown ass man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I, I don't think it was too bad. I saw it on like Netflix or Hulu or whatever, you know, so I didn't have to, I didn't go watch it in theaters. So I didn't think it was like all that bad, but yeah, yeah sure. There was things that they could have changed on it. Sure. But like, we've gotten a hell of a lot worse. We're not talking like doom, you know, with the rock. Yeah. Or Assassin's Creed, you know? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> so like, I'm all for them continuing the trend. Yeah. Um, as and you know, as if it's making them money, they're going to keep doing it. And hopefully, you know, as long as your your shows are good and your 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 pre your sequel games prequel games are good, hopefully we still will see more sequels to stuff. You know, yeah. it'll help fund video games in general. Yeah, I think so too. Well, my dream choice for Kratos is Clancy Brown. He voices Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. And when you look at his face, if you ever look him up on Google, you'll see exactly what I mean. And he's really good at playing those gruffy, angry kind of actor, like, you know, really good at that kind of area. And I think the younger Kratos should be played by this guy named Tra- Travis Fimmel because he looks like the younger Clancy Brown. That's the only <laughs> reason on that end. But yeah, uh, we'll see how that one goes. It's still so many years from, you know, today anyway. Yeah, I mean, we're, this is like, way into the future right like yeah. we're not gonna see anything anytime soon so yeah well i mean speaking of adaptation other adaptation coming up is the indiana jones adaptation apparently so this is kind of a rumor more than anything else but according to uh twitter user at Krakis, crack i'm sorry i'm butchering his name but at Krakasis, 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 Krakasis. okay yeah at Krakasis, Krakasis, Krakasis. yeah so at Crack Assist, he mentioned the domains and trademarks were filed by Lucasfilm for a certain game called Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. Uh, now they're assuming this is the Bethesda Indiana Jones that's going to be made. And I'm hoping it's going to be closer to Uncharted than it is to Skyrim or Starfield. And that is my only comment on that end. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's more like um, Uncharted or even like uh, Tomb Raider. I would be down for that. Um, definitely more of those than, like you said, Starfield and stuff for sure. I'm hyped about it though. Uh, I've been wanting a really good Indiana Jones game because it's been what since the Super Nintendo or some shit like that since we've had one. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you know, with the, with the success of Uncharted and Tomb Raider, you know, it's like how the fuck have we not got one? Well, success is a very, in your opinion, kind of thing because the last Tomb Raider was absolutely horrendous to play. And Uncharted, you know, yeah, the game is really good, of course, but that movie kind of tanked the legacy. The problem with Indiana Jones, in my opinion, is that they don't do anything to preserve or continue its presence in pop culture. It literally drops out of the, like, in the sky once in a while. And people who remember Indiana Jones, like, 35-year-olds or, like, older people and younger people, they just don't really care much about Indiana Jones. Like, you and I are people of our age. We remember Indiana Jones very fondly, but... Even for us, the last Indiana Jones movies have been kind of boring to watch. Yeah, the the Crystal Skull was fucking terrible. I, like, Ian, that's uh, not the last Indiana yeah. Jones movie, dude. Yeah, 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 I forgot. I haven't seen the other one that just came out. I, I forgot that it... I forgot it. What is it called? I forgot that it came out. <laughs> the Dial of Destiny. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Dial of Destiny. I think the biggest problem with the Indiana Jones franchise... And I don't mean to say this in like kind of any kind of negative connotation or whatever, but it's going to die with Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford is already getting so old. 
you know? Like, who else can play indie, right? Well, there was a young Indiana Jones being played by River Phoenix. I mean, I think there are going to be great actors who can play Indiana Jones. Recast them, you know? Don't try to de-age your, like, you know, dead old actress. Like, try with somebody new. Like, if this is a big franchise name, then try giving it to some young actor and give them a shot or something. I think there are some actors who can do this really, really well. Like, put Glenn Powell in it. Like, he'll figure out how to do an Indiana Jones really easily. That handsome, beautiful man, he knows how to do it. Glenn Powell, I, I don't know about that. But, I mean, I I could stand for a reboot as long as, like, the right actor took it, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I want a reboot, but, like, don't tell me how he got his hat. Don't tell me how he got his whip. Don't tell me how he got his archaeology degree. Just show me him having an adventure. I'll take it. That's what I want more than anything Punches. else. Plus, punching Nazis in the face. <laughs> exactly. Is that more than what I can ask for? Come on, you know? Like, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, like, you know, Miss Tomb Raider, whoever her name is, Lara Croft. I don't know, forgot her <laughs> name. And Mr. Uncharted. All of these people, they're the worst archaeologists in the world, just destroying all the archaeological evidence and everything else. So I want a movie like that pretty soon, hopefully. Yeah, I, I want to see it. You know, when it comes out, I want to see what it looks like. So, yeah, I'm like, the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Let me me be specific on that. I don't give a shit about the dial one. I care about the giant circle or great circle, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, speaking of Hollywood, I wanted to quickly touch base on this particular article from Insider Gaming. A lot of insider gaming article this week, I guess, but yeah. this is the one where like the SAG AFTRA, which is the union that represents all the uh, performers, actors in Hollywood and even voice actors. So in what has been held as a groundbreaking agreement by those who have signed it, SAG AFTRA has agreed to work with replica studios to produce fair and ethical digital replicas of the voices that we hear in the video game. Now, apparently, the deal was being made with people who represented voice actors kind of field in the, like, you know, the deal itself. But a lot of famous voice actors were, well, quote-unquote, you know, pun intended, voicing their opinion that they were not considered very well regarding what, like, you know, what this deal will entail and how their voice will be used. However, in the press release, they specified that it is trying to, this deal will establish minimum terms and condition and the agreement will ensure that a performer's consent and negotiation will be acquired to use for the digital voice double and requires the performers to have the opportunity to opt out of its continued use in the new works. Now, legally, I don't know how strong that of a deal that is, but a lot of voice actors are not happy enough that they were not properly consulted on what this will mean for them. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is big because... I mean, they've been protesting, not protesting, striking, striking. There we go. Thank you. Uh, They've been striking for a while now. The writers union has been. And I know these voice actors, they're kind of on and off with it because they kind of get the the low end of the deal when it comes to this shit. Yeah, the the strike for the writers is already over. And this is the ending negotiation for the actor strike. Uh, But that's the thing. Voice actors, you know, they get shafted so easily, like. Uh, one of the things that happened was that, you know, after like, you know, the 1990s and Disney's renaissance, like a lot of the voice actors jobs were being given from like the lead roles to like actual actors are getting their voice acting role rather than giving it to a proper voice actor who has been trained in that specific art. 
And it has been kind of unfortunate on that end, but like it shadows a lot of great talents like Kevin Conroy and people like Mark Hamill and stuff like that. But it always goes to like this actress now, which is kind of unfortunate. And it has, in my opinion, lowered the quality of, you know, voice acting that we get in a lot of Hollywood movies. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on that because, I mean, we do see it in the video game industry too. Like, look at when we had Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk 2077, you know what I mean? Like, how much did it cost to get him on that, you know? Uh, another thing, Payday, um, Payday 2, like, they have some big-name actors in there. The guy that did, uh, that was in Hardcore Henry and stuff and uh, even using, like, um, Scarface, you know, licensing for those and stuff like that. I don't think Al Pacino or whatever did the voice in that one but we've seen big name actors in video games and it's always kind of subpar in my opinion i always like it better when there's like a trained voice actor doing it and stuff like that it sounds way better yeah i think like some of the cases it there's an exception to everything right so idris elba yeah i'm sure he's good but would any other qualified voice actor be like you know any worse i don't think so i think they might even be even better like a lot of times like these people want to put like a motion capture of these actors and try to put their likeness in it as well. This is what they're trying to get out of it. And it, in my opinion, I've never really enjoyed seeing an actor in a video game. Like, I think I'm one of the few people, but I did not enjoy Keanu Reeves' performance in the Cyberpunk 2077 at all. It feels like so slow and it doesn't feel very dramatic at all. I didn't like that guy who plays, you know, Jon Snow, Kit Harrington, one of those modern warfare he was a villain in. And it was so bad in that end, in my opinion. And there are so many other cases as well. But like, like I'm just kind of like, they could have spent that money on something bigger and better, like paying their developers a little bit better or something like that. But yeah, it was kind of unfortunate, like how these voice actors always get the uh, low end of the you know stick all the time. Yeah, because not only that, but look at the Super Mario Brother movie that just came out, right? You have Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy or whatever is playing Princess Peach. You have Jack Black playing Bowser, but I mean, that's kind of, that fits, he fits the role in my opinion. So I'm not going to go crazy with that. But like you have, you have a completely animated movie and you opt to get big name actors in it rather than just using voice actors who could probably do a, a way better job you know, of establishing character voices and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think since Robin Williams became the genie in the Aladdin, that's when like they really thought, oh, let's get these actors in there to kind of like, you know, really do the board. But like Robin Williams is a rare kind of scenario. Yeah. And it's like Jack Black. I mean, he's, they're so out there and they're so projective with their voices as is and their personality. They embody the role, you know? But we'll see about that one, right? I mean, to be really honest, hopefully this deal with the SAG-AFTRA, it doesn't come back to bite them because, you know, voice actors may be the lowest, like, you know, end of, like, you know, getting the shtick, but they're often the vanguard as well. And what happens to them can happen to other actors too. So yeah. like this, hopefully they're not, like, shafting them that low on the end or something like that. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I hope I hope they get what they want out of the deal for sure and i hope that if they are using like some sort of ai voice thing to kind of fill in the gaps that the actors the voice actors are properly compensated and protected that where if they do if they don't want their voice in something that it's honored to say the yeah. least agreed 
Uh, let's end with the last news that I wanted to cover is Batista just released on its Twitter account that starting on like in you know, the next week on January 17th, they'll be putting out their biggest update to Starfield game with over 100 fixes and improvements and with a planned release date for all players two weeks later. So we'll see, like, you know, they've been promising that they will do a lot more quality of life improvements on their game moving forward. But this is like something of a bad habit I'm looking at. Like, and I'm not really enjoying this news. Like, you know, you cannot just, you know, release a big game and then tell people like, you know, immediately after release that, hey, we're going to improve the game moving forward. You should have just released a good game when you released it. But I don't think you can ever repair, like, you know, how are they going to add fun back into this game or something like that? Yeah, I'm you know, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, it's like when you hear a game that announces, like, a season pass and DLC and, like, perfectly articulates what it entails before the game even comes out. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, when, it's like, well, did you just cut the content and now you're rebundling it to me? Is that what you're doing? Like, the fuck, man? It's basically Zack Snyder saying there's a director's cut to his movie before the movie is even released. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With- like, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it, I'll ask you this, Ari. Is this going to be enough to try and pull you back in? Are you going to check Not it out? All. No. Not at all. I think one, I will check the Starfield out again, is when we have a lot more mods going in. Uh, when there's a specific mod that populates a specific Nude? planet. No. <laughs> <laughs> New Chun Li. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah. He's in the middle of the Starfield game, sure. So, what Batista has said is that their creation engine will allow modders to populate a planet itself, as in, like, to put a lot more assets into a planet than just a bare desert. I think that is what my re entry point will be when I see that actually happening, because I think if that is the case, there is a chance of people coming back and trying to fill up, you know, more stuff into this particular world. So the exploration becomes a lot more uh, worth taking. That's the kind of mod that I'm specifically waiting on this. And when they do what they have promised, like when Batista has promised, it's like, this is what the modders can do with our uh, creation engine or creation kit and stuff like that. If that is the case, then I will re-enter it. Otherwise, uh, you can fix whatever you want to. I'm not really interested in this game anymore. And I've already spent about a hundred hours in it. I've got my money's worth or whatever you want to say. Now I want to move on to playing other games. So I'm, I have a specific target on when I will re-enter this game. If I see that, then I'll probably come back in. So basically when, uh, the modders flesh out the game and finish it for Bethesda. It sounds bad. And it's bad for them, in my opinion. But what I'm saying is like, this is what they initially promised, right? Like, this is what they said the modders would be able to do with their game. Like, they can populate planet, put characters and more quest line into it. Then if that is the case, I want to see the proof of that because that's not an easy thing to accomplish. And if they do manage to do it, then I want to go in and see what they have. Like, you know, uh, a quest that is not just Batista's, you know, boring yeah i want to see okay a modder has decided to create a quest with the assets that is available to him or her and it is actually a fleshed out fun kind of quest then yeah i'll go in and re-enter the point i'll even pay the modder a few like you know amount of dollar to kind of enjoy that experience if needed because like at the end of the day if i enjoyed the game i enjoyed the game no matter who completed it which is kind of a weird thing to say but like you know it's just like, you know, that's the specific metric I have for getting back into this game. 
Yeah, no, I respect it. Um, for you know, I I'm definitely not going to check it out. Uh, I'm going to be too busy probably playing. Let's see, January seventeenth, I'll be playing Sniper Elite Five, or waiting for Last of Us Two Remaster to drop. So I will not be checking it out. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say you're too busy digging for cold or something like that. I mean, that's maybe. what you do, right? That's what your job is, right? Like you dig coals. Yeah, I, I dig coals. That's what. That's exactly what I do, Ari. <laughs> No, you're a professional podcaster too. Don't forget. I'm, that. In, I'm in the coal mines all day, every day. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching a lot of Justified, and that one, one of the key lines is uh, we dug coal together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I looked up Clancy Brown, by the way. And yeah? you should have just said it was the the dude from Starship Troopers, the, the, um, what's it? The, what are they called? Oh well, yeah, but I mean, in Starship Troopers, he's the um, God. Well, I am having a huge brain fart on what the fuck he is. I've never seen Starship Troopers. You never seen Starship Troopers? Oh my no, god, that's that is a great piece of American propaganda, <laughs> fascist propaganda. He's also the uh, warden in Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, and. It, uh, yeah, Shawshank. Uh, I was going to say Green Mile for a second there. I don't know why, but it's kind of the same kind of in a way. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Clancy Brown is a legendary Hollywood actor. He's a very like famous character actor, so he doesn't really come in and play the same character. He plays different kind of characters every time. But he's so good at playing those serious, gruffy villain kind of characters, you know? And he would be yeah. perfect as Kratos. Yeah. No, I once I looked him up and saw him, I... Like, yeah, he's got a huge repertoire behind him. Like, he's been in so much shit. I didn't even realize who it was until I looked him up. But yeah, he'd be, he'd be a good Kratos. Yeah. Yeah, I think with that being said, I think we can move on to the review of Evil West, shall we? Evil West. Yeah, we can. let's get into it. How did you like it? I want to know what your thoughts, because you beat it. I didn't beat it. I'll say that right now. I know I didn't beat it. I know you beat it. So how did you feel? Oh, man, I felt like a gunslinger, dude. I mean, reach for the sky, pilgrim. I was so happy with this game. I abs- I, I would say, like, you know, yeah, I enjoyed this game because of how short, sweet, and quick-paced it is. I love, like, you know, the fact that this main character, he loves dunking on nerds all the time. Like, he's not going to be one of those pencil neck, like, you know, paper pusher. He's a man of action. And the game, it moves really fast, in my opinion. The gameplay is amazing. We'll go a little bit more in detail into that one later on. But story is uh, average, but uh, you kind of ignore it because it is short enough that you can finish it really, really fast. So for me, this was a really good experience. I know this game came out in 2022 all the way back in November 2022. But yeah, this is like going back to those old school, like, you know, overt macho kind of games that we used to play back in the day. It was like a good kind of refresher on that. And I I love this game. Now you tell me why you're wrong about this game. Go ahead. No, I mean, hey, people are going to like what people are going to like. I was not really a fan of the story. I just kind of, it was like take it or leave it for me. And I left it. I did not give a shit about any of the lore in the story. I like I didn't care about any of that stuff, honestly. It it felt decent to play, like it wasn't like terrible or anything. It was responsive. Um you know, uh, the the main gripes I have with it is just like I don't know, man. 
I didn't like in the beginning how quickly you were getting weapons and stuff like that. I understand why they did it because like every weapon that you got corresponded with a different move that you could do right when you were fighting. Which you, you played it on PC, right? I did. Do you play pad? I uh, know. Uh, yeah, I, I played. I played with my Xbox controller. Okay, that I have. Yeah, so basically, like, anytime you unlocked a weapon, you got a new button on your controller unlocked, too. So you could push a new button on your controller while you were fighting, right? I didn't like how quickly they were just throwing that shit at you. Like, I understand why they did it, right? I get that. But I just didn't like... I felt the pacing was too fast for that shit, in my opinion. And the other thing I didn't like, too, in the beginning, was how many different enemies they threw at you. In the first 10 minutes, you fought five different fucking enemies. You know what I mean? You had the quick little little shithead fodder. Then you had the guys with the axes. Then you had, you know, werewolves coming out, little vampires coming out. You know what I mean? Like in the first 10 minutes, you're fighting like eight different things. I didn't care for that. So on that end, I do have a differing opinion. I thought they paced it okay. Like, for example, the way I was getting the guns. Okay, the way I played it on really real world is that I would spend like a uh, one episode at a time kind of scenario, right? So I finish up one chapter and then I put the game down. So it never felt to me that, you know, I was rushing through the game so much that a lot of weapons were being flinked. For me, the weapons were paced just fine because like as I was getting used to one section of the weapon, then they give me another and then I get used to that part of the weapon uh, and then I get another. So for me, it didn't feel like it was like you know, thrown all at the same time. It it felt like it was paced pretty well for me. And even the enemies too. I guess on that end, like, you know, every chapter is when you get introduced to a new kind of enemy coming in. And there was a little bit of a spacing. I said, like, sometimes when you introduce like the axe enemy, at first, it's like the hardest version of that axe enemy that you have to face. But then later on, they get a little bit easier as they appear more and more into the game. For me, the pacing, it actually was quite balanced on that end. Like I never felt way too overwhelmed uh, when it comes to how I received weapon or how I received the uh, like, you know, new enemies and et cetera, how I learned to fight them. It never felt like, like you know, overwhelming on that end, uh, like you're describing. Yeah, if you play the game just through and you don't, stop during like after the chapters or something and you just play the game through they're literally just throwing shit at you constantly like it's just a barrage of shit just coming at you and it was a little obnoxious to me i guess it's also the part of the fact that the story overall the gameplay is quite short like you can finish it in like about 10 to 12 hours or even less to be really honest so they're trying to put a lot of things condensing it and that pacing does get affected by the story gets affected in my opinion. Yeah. The story is nothing really that special because it is so rushed in that small kind of compact manner. But what I did like is the overall organization of how you learn to use the weapon on your joypad. Like that one I thought was pretty cool. Cause like this game does not have a, a weapons wheel system to kind of switch between weapons. You have to like, you know, learn how to kind of use a different button at the same time. And it's quite intuitive, I thought, Ian. I thought it was pretty intuitive because like, okay, if I have triggers, then that's for guns. Okay, that makes sense to me. Like if I just pull the right trigger, I'm hitting with the revolver. But if I put the aim, then I'm using the long range kind of gun. And I can switch the long range with the crossbow with just a button. So very intuitive on that end. Or like the health is just literally just pressing the uh, B button or et cetera. Or like, you know, if you want to use a shotgun, it's just one of the buttons like X or something like that. It always felt like 
quite a uh, kind of like, you know, not, our acts are like an up and down D-pad kind of area. It always felt like, you know, it allows you to learn this, how to use this weapon as if you're an actual like cowboy with all these things and you don't have the time to do a weapon wheel sec- selection. You have to kind of like be reflexive about which weapon you're using at a time. And when you have to combine weapons, especially the melee attack, like you press the right button to do the melee attack and you know your left button is more of an electric attack. You can press the right and then right again to get the, just the normal melee. But you know for a fact that if you press the right button and then press the left button, you'll get a melee plus the electric attack. Like it's kind of very intuitive on how it's using it. Like and it has a section of your joypad reserved for a certain kind of weapons action. And that organization I thought was pretty good from gameplay perspective. Yeah, like once you got used to it, it, it was it worked for the game for sure. It would have been way more obnoxious to have a weapon wheel and shit like that. Like, I don't think you could actually do this game with like a weapon wheel. I think the way that they executed it was perfectly fine. Being able to, you know, punch, 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 and then just blast with your shotgun just by pushing square, you know, is fantastic. You know, it allows for a lot of different combos and stuff, which is great. It's the game plays a lot like Devil May Cry. If you ever played like those games, it plays very similar to that kind of like a hybrid between that and like, I'd say Dark Souls a little bit because you do a lot of dodging and rolling and uh, countering and stuff like that. I do like how they made the enemies kind of glow when it was time to counter them. So you didn't like it was real easy to tell like when you do when to do your counters and stuff like that. My biggest issue I had was with the long range enemies when they would do their counter moves, because every time I would go to aim, if there was two of them right next to each other, it would always go to the one that wasn't doing the counter attack. So like I I ended up wasting like a bullet or whatever, you know what I mean? Shooting the one and not doing like double damage and shit to it because I was aiming for the other one that had the counter attack available. Yeah, that's that that annoyed me. (laughs) By counterattack, do you mean when that uh, orange uh, yes. target comes up to them? Yeah. 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 I see what you mean. Yeah. I thought, for example, when I played it, uh, if you lower the difficulty on that one, it never really had that problem for me. But I know what you mean. Like, you know, the aim assist is really strong in this game. Like, they're trying you to kind of like, you know, make sure you use your gun like a gunslinger, like an instinctual gut instinct kind of like an aiming and yeah. not try to like aim too much unless you want it yourself. Yeah, of course. Like you can turn off that assist. And yeah, sometimes the assist can be quite heavy and kind of make you point to us like the wrong section sometimes. But I've never had too much issue on that end, which is weird because like as my gameplay progressed, I was not using the long range weapon as much because they were the least damaging of all the weapons that I had. Un- because like what I ended up doing a lot more with like those flying enemies that we have is I just pulled them closer to me and then hit them with a the melee instead. I was much more melee and revolver kind of person and more electrical attack kind of like fighter on my end. So I wasn't really doing a lot of like, you know, long aim or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that was mainly just for like kind of the beginning, you know what I mean? Before you got a lot of those moves, like the the pull and like the dash to them and stuff. Yeah. Like it that like before you were able to do that stuff or you do rely heavily on aiming and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's not... It, it, I had a lot of issues with it, which... What, what difficulty did you play on? Did you play on easy? Normal. See, I played on normal as well. And yeah. I, like, I, for whatever reason, every time a counter move came up, like, I was always aiming at a different enemy every time I tried to snap to him. And that's kind of what, what gave me difficulty on that one leech boss where I said, fuck the leech boss. I, I had a lot of issues 
trying to aim at one and it would aim at the other one or I'd be too busy trying to dodge and stuff. Um, but we can, we can get to that in a bit. The enemy design, though, how did you feel about enemy design? I thought it was pretty cool. I think there was enough variety of enemies to kind of c- come into the episode-wise. Like, uh, you know, first you kind of meet, meet up with, like, the dead, like, you know, dead being raised from the, like, you know, ground or something like that. Later on, you meet more werewolf, faster kind of enemies. You meet more vampires a little bit later on. And one of my favorite enemies that I kept on encountering was the one with the shield and stuff like that. They were quite challenging in my opinion and you have to kind of do a lot of dodging and then be able to figure out how to kind of counter them properly but i thought the overall enemies were quite a lot of variety sometimes it's weird it's like it doesn't have a consistent like big boss battles like when it comes out i don't really know if like you know this is going to be a normal enemy in the future or if it's going to be a boss battle kind of enemy and like the leech it, like this is one uh, enemy that are basically supposed to be ancient creatures and stuff like that, rather than the vampires themselves. It was kind of like they were much more difficult than what you were been facing continuously, and it takes a long time to kind of get over, like you know, over these enemies. That was what caught me a little bit off guard when it comes to enemies. It's like suddenly, like the big boss battle is like really, really hard. While I've been dealing with like a pretty easy enemies for a while. Yeah. I think the enemy design was great too, honestly. There was a lot of good variety. I liked the gore factor that they had, like where you could actually like, you'd be punching them so hard, you'd be punching off pieces of them and stuff. I thought that yeah. was great. Um, especially like some of the bigger enemies and stuff like that. Like you could literally punch chunks off them and that was super. I didn't like how the, not the basic vampires, but like the one that actually looked like a bat, the bat head one, there was a like high boss. Yeah. So like, I didn't like how you fought kind of so many of them because they, they look the same. I think before that leech boss, you fight like three of them or something like that. Yeah, you meet one highborn in the first big boss battle when you fight Dubano, the who's supposed to be the main bad guy or the first main bad guy. Yeah. He turns to a highborn and then later on you, at the end of the game, Ian, you're fighting like five of those things. See, that's obnoxious. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, you know, they have this kind of a level scaling where like when you meet the this kind of enemy for the first time, they're very challenging. Even the ones, you know, that stick around in the wall mm-hmm. or like the one that throws spider waves. They're very challenging in the first one, but then later on you see like four or five of them in the same uh battle. It's kind of weird. It's like it's like, you know, they're suddenly now not the big bad guys as they used to be. The yeah. highborns were probably one of my favorite ones too. I know, I think you and I are disagreeing a lot in this game, but like I enjoyed the highborn battle quite a bit. This was the first big boss battle with the highborn, uh, the Peter Dubano battle. And, uh, it, it is a lot of fun. Like, you know, it gives you a lot of chance to do that counter attacks, like, you know, with this bat one. And you can learn a lot about like, you know, uh, doing a proper parry on these enemies better than other enemies that you face, in my opinion. Yeah, I I like the first one that you fight and even arguably like the second one. But I'm just saying like, you know, you're getting three of them within the first, you know, two hours of the game. And they're they're all the same. They all look the same. They all fight the same. You know what I mean? There's a lot of just repetition with that that I could, you know, take it or leave it. I'd leave it. But they did have a good variety of enemies, though, like. Again, I, the only thing I didn't like was just how many they just kind of threw at you all at once. Because when you play it through, 
they're just throwing these things constantly at you versus like how you said you played where you like took a break during the chapters and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that luxury. So <laughs> that's all right. You know, I think you have a better judge of like, you know, how gameplay works. Like usually for me, gameplay is not exactly the most important part. If I like the story, I'll stick with whatever shit gameplay it has. Like, even if it's just a point and click, if I like the story, I'll stick with it. It's, I would say like this game's like, you know, when it comes to gameplay perspective, one weakness is a little bit on the graphic. It is definitely a double A kind of game, right? Uh, yeah. it's not exactly triple A. It, I think it condenses your entire chapter or episode experience in a linear manner, which is pretty cool. But it also like, you know, for some reason, like, you know, whenever you are approaching like other characters it has this weird shine to it have you noticed like in the bar or stuff like that when you're looking at other npcs it has this weird like unnatural shine to it it looks like they're made of gold or something and it really makes you feel like oh wow this game is kind of a you know, smaller budget kind of game and certain cases like you know in the environment, there were a little bit of visual glitch, nothing game-breaking, but you would notice it once in a while when you're out in the world, like in the swamp areas. That is a little bit kind of noticeable, but it's not going to break your game. But at the same time, it also offers a lot of different environment to fight in. You're going from set to set, like, you know, morning and dark and etc. You're going from canyons to cities to graveyards to, like, you know, uh, even swamp and etc. or to capital building like in a dc or whatever later on down the game spoiler alert but yeah it has a lot of like a you know, variety from chapter to chapter where you get to play but overall it plays the same nonetheless later on down the road did you enjoy the environments i did i thought it was pretty good it's very conservative it's not a very like you know very detailed like in a heavy on your gpu kind of environment it's much more like it has a certain aesthetic depending upon where you are. It serves its purpose by setting you in the kind of an area. Uh, one of the areas where environment is a little bit weird is when you're in a canyon, you hear the echo of other villains kind of hiding around, but they keep saying the same fucking thing all the time. And it just annoys you after a while. You're like, I just want to shoot these guys. Where are they? Like, it, it just gets annoying afterwards in that canyon area. But overall, like, you know, it's, uh, I think it, it doesn't put you off from it. it. It really brings you into the story. The environments are pretty good on that end. The only complaint is that these people are vampire hunters, but why the fuck are they always doing their missions in the night most of the time? Like, why don't you just do your mission in the day and avoid the vampires completely? Well, I mean, they wouldn't be really too great of vampire hunters if they avoided them, but it would make more sense to go during the daytime when they're vulnerable, I would say. I think the environments are really good as well. I actually really enjoyed them. That the when you first go and you fight that first boss there, when you first get underneath the canyon or whatever, and you see that temple that's like upside down or whatever, and like all the bats flying, I thought that was such a cool shot. It just sucked that right before that, the background scenery looked like straight ass in the canyon <laughs> um, yeah but that underground shot was super cool looking in my opinion i thought that was really dope i think most of the environments were really good even like the sawmill was really nice looking yeah there was there was some graphical stuff where like i one of the videos i tried to send you was that enemy i had killed an enemy and like splattered it into like three or four different pieces and the pieces had stayed and they were just like shaking you know I did have that problem once or twice where like I killed the enemy, but they're just still walking in the air. <laughs> and in this game, sometimes a problem is that a specific way does not open 
until you kill all of the enemies. And if there's a bug where like one enemy is just not dying and just stuck in the same area, that way path is not open for you to use. And it can kind of like you know, take you out of the game. And what it does, the worst part is the save game is just atrocious in this one. The way this game saves is like it saves automatically. You cannot do any kind of manual save. And the auto save happens not as frequently as you would like it to. And yeah. sometimes you don't even know where you will load if you try to load the last checkpoint, whether it'll be the beginning of the mission or it'll be in the middle of the mission itself. The the save was so garbage. So like that when I put that post in the the doc, I was in like the the not the sawmill, but like the processing plant or whatever before the sawmill. And yeah. when you're with like that guy, there's a cutscene that happens before then you go down the elevator, then you were immediately in a little arena. You fight a bunch of guys. I died there three fucking times, dude. And kip, you can't skip the cutscene. So you're stuck watching the cutscene. And I was like, you are killing me with this shit. But yeah, anytime I wanted to back out, it was like, oh, last save 10 minutes ago. And I'm like, well, what the fuck, dude? I just did so much shit. I'm not backing out now. So I had to wait and constantly check the menu to see like when it last quick save. It was annoying. Yeah, I can't believe why they would put this kind of save game feature at all. It's nothing I've ever seen in any game. Usually you could just manually save. Why not have that system? You know, I, I don't understand why they decide to skip on that. And it's just kind of weird. It really annoys you because the only way you know that it has auto-saved is that when you go to the uh, try to go to the main menu, it says last save at this many minutes ago. And I don't even know if they, that minute corresponds to the actual minute in the real world or something like that. Or is that like some sped up minute or something? You know, that is like one of the big drawbacks that I can complain about for this game. Yeah, it was atrocious the way that it saved and stuff. I just, it was so bad. But I mean, overall, it, I would say it wasn't like a terrible game or anything like that. The combat felt decent. Um, it was fairly smooth. I didn't really have any issues with that. Other than, like I said, like the aiming, trying to, to quick aim on stuff. Um, I liked cannonballing a lot of the enemies. I don't know if you like doing that, but that was probably one of my favorite moves. Uh, I like the as uh, possible. Yeah, I like the dashing option the most, like, you know, where you can kind of dash, like, you know, press the uh, left stick and right stick together, and then you can kind of, like, dash a lot. Uh, when you are in that mode, where, like, the electric charge mode, we're, like, ready for dash, you can actually turn that into a long-range attack by doing the aiming and attacking, and it can send a kind of, like, you know, your, uh, that fist that you have into the uh, enemy. It is kind of, like, crazy when I found that out. It doesn't really teach you on the tutorial or anything. But, yeah, it is. Overall, it's a pretty good game, yeah. It does It does say that. It does. I, I saw that. I never used it because I always just dashed around and punched shit in the face. But yeah, it, it does tell you that there's a long-range version of it as well. Yeah, well, like, you know, let's wrap this up by talking real quickly about the story itself. I thought, I think we already talked about it, but I think the story, you know, it's pretty simple. It runs through really fast. One thing that I could not kind of give it up is that for me, this does not feel like a Western at all. Like, this is not a Western kind of like a game at all, a Western story at all. I'll, I'll get your opinion first on that. And like, what do you think about the overall story? I I, told, I didn't give a fuck about it, honestly. Like, it, it to me, it wasn't engaging. I didn't really care for the characters. I like the doctor chick. She was cool. Um, I didn't like the character design was pretty decent. I didn't mind it that much. I just didn't like their proportions. The proportions looked weird on the characters. Like their hands looked like too big and shit. 
Yeah, yeah, because it's wrapped up in melee weapons. (laughs) There's so much weapon on your body, dude. Like, how can you move? (laughs) Yeah, you move. You're so heavy. Yeah, I didn't mind overall character design. So the story, I honestly, I don't even really know what the fuck the story was about. Just show me where the vampires are. Let me just fucking shoot them in the face with a shotgun, you know? Like, that's all I wanted to do was just punch something in the face or dash to it and punch it in the face or, like, really cannonball stuff. That was my favorite. That's where you punch them up in the air and then you punch them at some shit and you can instant kill, like, damn near anything, dude, doing that. That was really fun. I skipped most of the lore shit that you pick up, so, like, I just know, like, your dad was, like, in there or some shit and got, like, fucked up or whatever, so you're trying to save that. That's, like, the bare minimum of the story, but, yeah, you're correct. Like, here's what I'll kind of, like, end this particular review with, uh, is that when I was kind of looking at it, I'm a big fan of Westerns. I, I like Western movies, Western kind of shows. I used to watch like these old Bonanza that used to come on my gym's TVs, like from 1950s or something. And then it's great to run around with that on TV. But it feels weird because like usually for me, a Western story is when you are a character that goes into a world that doesn't have any, any kind of law at all. And you go in there to establish the law, right? That's for me what a Western actually is. Now, this one felt more like what uh, Malcolm Gladwell is like kind of a thinker or something. He talked about it on Joe Rogan's podcast like a couple of years ago, and it's still in my head. It's like he described four kinds of thriller. One is the Western that I described. One is a Northern where like the law and system exists and the system is righteous and bad people are those who go against the system and good people are one who bring you into the system, the bad people. Or you have Eastern where like the system is corrupt And the only one who can repair that system is somebody from the inside. And then you have a Southern where you are in a corrupt system like the Eastern, but the only one who can reform it is somebody from the outside, like Jack Reacher season one or like in any John Grisham novel. A Northern story is more like a law and order and an Eastern story is like your political thriller or Serpico and stuff like that. So even though this has all the cowboy shit and everything else, for me, it felt like a Northern story, like a law and order episode more than anything else, or like everything is good, system is good, we just need to make sure people follow the rules kind of thing. So when I was going through the story, I was like, man, it would have been so much better if this was a Western rather than this Northern law and order kind of you know episode or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't doesn't feel like a Western, really, even though the setting is definitely a Western-esque setting. It doesn't definitely doesn't feel like a Western. I think uh, there's just too much supernatural shit, in my opinion, in it. Because, I mean, when you want to play a Western, you got even just like Red Dead Redemption, the first one, you know, not even Red Dead 2. It's like, I would take Red Dead over this, you know? Yeah, from Western perspective, right? Because, like, we're looking, looking at the Red Dead Redemption or Red Dead Redemption 2, that's like the dying portion of the West. Like, you know, the law and order that was not there has been established. And now people who cannot get adjust to it are going to die off. Like, that's exactly what RDR2 is. Redfall is where, like, you know, a main character goes into a world that doesn't have any law and order and has to establish it. But the story is so bad in that one. <laughs> gameplay is so bad in that one. Like, it just makes the Western kind of disservice even though it happens in some massachusetts town or something like that but it has that western kind of vibe to it but like immediately when i was playing this game the first thing i was thinking about is oh like i wonder if this is what redfall was supposed to be at least even a little bit you know 
Yeah, maybe. I know you wanted to end on the, the story, but I, I just got to go back to like level design real quick. I How did you feel about how linear it was? Oh, I thought it was straight as an arrow. You don't really venture out of it. You get gradually your weapons, as we already talked about. You get your enemies gradually. For me, in my opinion, it was paced pretty well the way I played it. So it felt like a very linear story. You're not really jumping up and down, kind of like, you know, from story perspective or even from like in a gameplay perspective. You're learning one weapon at a time. Uh, I know you and I will probably disagree on that one, but you kind of slowly get adjusted to it. And by the time the end comes up, you've already established what kind of gameplay you're going to have, how you want to play, what weapons you want to use, and what you don't want to use. So I thought it was a very linear, straightforward, like, you know, no bullshit kind of story, like in a gameplay. But- did you enjoy the linearness of it? Very much so, yeah. Because I think the past few games that I've been playing was the like an open world kind of games. It was nice for me to take a break from an open world and go a little bit more linear, concise, short, and sweet. I am having a lot more appreciation for these kind of games now that I'm having a little bit of an open world fatigue. Like Avatar was a pretty open world game. And then, you know, Sea of Star was kind of an open world too. So I like this kind of a linear kind of gameplay for now. It's a great palate cleanser. I'll just put it that way. I just want to kind of something to you know, survive me until the next big game comes up, but I don't want to play a big kind of game. I want some like a fast food kind of a game. It's Yeah, I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with linear type games. Don't, you know, I'm not saying there's something wrong with it or anything. It, like you said, it's very enjoyable that it is a linear type game. Uh, not everything needs to be open world, right? Um, my biggest gripe with linear type games, though, is that when it does the uh, the branching paths, so you know you you want to explore everything. At least that's what I want to do. But you run the risk of missing stuff because you you go to a part where then you can't go back from. That's what I don't like with these linear type games. And this game it happens quite a bit. Really? Because uh, how deep do you usually uh, explore off path on this game? There there was a couple parts where the it kind of branches, especially when you were going through the mines. And you can either go down this path where there it's a dead end, but there's enemies that you could fight so you can level up, or you go down this path, which is the right path, the right way you're supposed to go. But when you go down that path, you get locked into it. So if you go too far down that path, you get locked in and you can't go back to go fight those enemies so that you can level up and get stronger. That's what I don't like. And this game does that quite a bit, in my opinion. I did not really run into that kind of scenario because, I I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, you and I are having exactly the opposite experience of this game. But from an explorer's standpoint, usually whenever I take an off-beaten path, either I get a gold or a lore item. And oftentimes, if I see an enemy, I can always double back down and go to the right path. Like, I've never had an issue where, like, I felt like I was locked in. Once in a while, when I chose a particular path, the issue was that I just wanted to get it done that episode really fast because I was coming up to the hour and wanted to go to bed or something like that. So I would try to finish this story really fast. So I would just brute force through it, not exploring. But the overall, the level, I never had an issue where I couldn't take a particular path and then not walk back on it. Most of the paths are not very deep, like the off-beaten path are not very deep. In my experience, you literally just go, you find your gold or like your lore item, and then you walk back in. Like, it never felt like I was going to get lost or anything. It's just like, in fact, my complaint would be there is not really much of an off-beaten path to kind of like go and explore deeper into. So my my gripe is, though, is that 
if you go down the right path, the way that the story intends you to go down, that you get locked into that path. You have to jump over a hurdle or something like that, or you drop down somewhere and you can't get back up to go explore the unbeaten path if you didn't go explore it. That's my gripe. I never, I never missed out on shit because I, I explore like an at like a bastard and I can figure out like, oh, this is the way I'm supposed to go. Let me hold off going here first and go check out over here. I'm really good at picking those things up, but I hate having to do that. True, but the alternative then becomes Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, right? Where now you have to walk back to your ship from the end of the level and then you're exploring everything else. But people found that quite tiring too. But the problem is though, is like, especially with this game is you need to fight enemies to level up so you can get your perks and stuff, right? So you want to go and seek out all those extra enemies. Yeah, so this game does have a lot of perks to kind of upgrade your character with. And I think the coin that you get or like the perk item you get is quite slow to kind of get those things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you want to go and find out all these hidden paths because there's gold and stuff like that, but usually it's guarded by a couple of enemies. You know what I mean? So like you would go down that path and I didn't even give a shit about the gold at that point. It was like, let me just kill the enemy so I can get the experience so I can get the perk points. Because like you said, it took forever to level up in that game, in my opinion. I haven't played the new game plus on this one. I wonder if you were able to keep those perks and then level up with those perks or something. So basically you're telling me that you can't get enough to level up everything then in one run. The highest level I went up to was like level 18. And no, I was not able to unlock every single thing on that end. I think I could have probably gone a little bit level higher, maybe if I had done better exploration. But like by the end of it, I didn't really need that much, like every single perk to be open for me to be able to fight. Like level 18, level 19, that's probably when the game ends for me, to be honest. That's the level I reach. And... I thought from my experience, I had enough of those perks kind of unlocked to kind of get a pretty good game. Like the last few perks, well, not the perks, but like the last few, there's like two kind of perk, right? Uh, Kind of perk, there's another upgrading your weapon. Most of the upgrades at the end of it is if there's some particular kind of weapon you like, then you'll get an electric version of it. So I like grenades and I spent a lot of gold on getting the electrical grenade perk which created an electric tornado which helped a lot with my gameplay that's how i really liked it with so but i didn't get like electric version of the gatling gun or like the electric version of the crossbow but i did get an electric version of the long range rifle like that that or or like the pistol and etc but yeah usually you get enough level like level 18 you unlock the ability to use the perk on those things but no you're not going to be able to have every single perk open you can respec though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, like, not not unlocking everything isn't very is it crucial because you can respec at least. So, if, if something's not working the way you want it to, you can always just change it, which is nice. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you can respec. Like, you know, every level has a sec, like you know a part of the map where you'll see this electrical kind of cylinder where you can go and uh, respec your skill sets and etc. And then you can try to experiment with other things. Yeah, so, I mean, it gives you at least options and a little bit of variety, which is nice. Overall, it's not a bad game. I will say this. If if I did pay for it, I'd probably be a little miffed with how it is. I'm glad that on PlayStation it's free this month, so I got it for free. So I really can't complain all that much, you know? Yeah, well, I paid for it. I thought it was worth the discount I got it in. Um, 
I mean, for me, I think I definitely enjoyed this game a lot more than you did. Uh, I would definitely recommend playing if you like, you know, your simple kind of palate cleanser kind of game where like you're waiting between the next two big games coming up, but you don't know what to do. It's good to revisit this game, in my opinion, and checking it out. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. Like if you can get it on discount or get it for free on PlayStation, it's definitely a nice little filler to, you know, play between your next, like whatever you're excited to actually come out for. Yeah. Well, I guess that would be the pretty good conclusion of our the game review. With that being said, you know, I don't have anything else to add. How about yourself? No, I'm I think that pretty much, you know, solidifies it for me. So Yeah. I'm gonna go like you know, later on after this podcast we're done recording, I'm gonna probably go and watch Justified is what this game reminded me of so much. Like, you know, Raylan Givens, US Marshal, whatever shit. I was like, I'm probably gonna go watch couple of the episode of that one after i'm done editing or whatever or while i'm editing to be honest but yeah it'll be kind of nice to kind of check it out how about yourself? what are you planning on doing for your uh, day off tomorrow yeah i'm gonna make a nice stiff drink tonight and go shoot some nazis in the head playing sniper elite five so that's my plan hey shoot them in the balls too for me okay oh we'll do my man we'll do do you, do you, does this game still have the special hitler edition where like you can shoot the balls of the ball of the hitler um i don't know i know there is some dlc for it i think that was only for like four or maybe three or three. something like that three okay nope. three because like you get to attack a couple of hitler doppelgangers but one of the doppelganger has like one ball so you know that's the real one <laughs> that's great <laughs> such a great game man all right i think with that being said we can conclude our podcast for this week uh ian thank you as always for joining me man Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here, as always. Yeah. yeah, and so if you'd like to reach out to us, of course, hypingbastards at gmail.com is the easiest way to reach out to us. Well, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.